previously on Making of a Giant Killer. Still fleeing for his life, David came to a vast countryside. It was owned by a rich man named Nabal. David came in peace and protected Nabal's sheep. But when David asked for food, Nabal became enraged. David was prepared to battle this new enemy. But Nabal's wife saw her husband's foolishness. She intervened with wisdom. And by her courage, bloodshed was avoided. This week, David finally faces his enemy on making of a giant killer. Welcome everybody to all of our campuses today, meeting throughout the Twin Cities. It's great to see all of you. You made it to church, way to go. I also want to welcome those of you who are watching online. We know that this is your church, and so we welcome you whenever you can join us as well. And today is the final day in our series on David called Making of a Giant Killer. And I'm so glad you're here because what we're going to see in David today, I believe, is the reason that God made him to be king. I think it's the reason... David prospered and was able to defeat pretty much every giant that he faced in his life. And the quality I'm going to talk about today is so rare in most people, but I think it's the reason God blessed David so richly. A couple of weeks ago, I was on my annual canoe trip with five other guys to a place that we call uh, the Hog Hole. It's my favorite place on the planet. It has 30 years of memories that include black bears right outside our tent, you know, big walleyes and bass, coffee on the open fire, hard to beat coffee on the open fire, and several close calls with capsized canoes and near hypothermia. It's a 17-mile, seven-hour drag-down, knock-down, drag-out paddle and portage that I try to stay in shape for all year because I like to challenge myself. It takes a full day to get in, a full day to get out, and then we spend a couple of days camping and fishing in the boundary waters of Minnesota and Canada. It's like a fly-in trip, really, without the plane. So it's a lot of work, uh, but it's, it's a lot of fun. And it's the only time I fish walleyes during the year. My brother-in-law, Ozzy Larson, is one of the main guys. And here's a little video of him catching and releasing a nice walleye. We've hunted and fished together, Ozzy and I have, for about 25 years. And we really love each other. We, we love going on these trips together. And Ozzy truly is one of my very best friends in the world. But one of the rules on these trips is that when one canoe starts catching fish, you don't weasel in on them. You know, go find your own spot kind of thing. And so we've all broken the rules before. I've broken it many, many times. We're a little competitive when it comes to fishing. Well, this year, Scott Jordan and I were fishing out of one canoe, and my brother-in-law, Ozzy, and his son were fishing out of another canoe, and Scott and I found a little honey hole, a little spot. We started catching one fish after another, and after about the eighth, at about the eighth fish, I noticed that Ozzy and Drew were slowly inching their way closer and closer to our spot until they dropped their anchor right in front of our canoe and into my casting lane. And because I'm a Christian <laughs> and a pastor... I tried to restrain myself. I tried not to say what I was thinking, that I wanted to cut their anchor rope and swamp their canoe. <laughs> Instead, what I said was this, and I actually said this. I said, I am using an extreme amount of self-control to not sin against you guys right now. They just smiled at me. 
And then I said this. I said, in fact, I am using all of the gifts of the Spirit, an extreme amount. I need all of them. I need the love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentle self-control to not ram your canoe and call you names. So the next day, Scott and I weaseled in on their spot just to make it even, because that's what friends kind of do to each other. But, of course, I'm having fun. But seriously, it doesn't, take, it doesn't take much for me to get irritated. And that's just over a fishing spot. What if it's somebody who stole from me? Or lied to me? Or betrayed me in some way? What if someone left me or had an affair? What if the person you look up to more than anyone ends up turning on you and tries to actually hurt you or destroy you? I mean, what we're going to see today is how David handled a man who so badly mistreated him, but how David chose to honor him anyway because here's the question of the day. How do you honor somebody who is dishonorable? How do you honor somebody Who's dishonorable? What does it look like, for example, to honor a parent who is controlling or manipulative? How do you honor a coach who plays favorites and demeans your kid? How do you honor a boss who is dishonest and harsh? How do you honor a spouse who shows no spiritual interest whatsoever while you head off to church alone again? How do you honor somebody like that? I think it's what set David apart, honestly. I think it's, it's why God made him to be king. We pick up the story in 1 Samuel 18. And you remember the story, David defeats this, this giant Goliath when he was just a kid. And so King Saul kind of recruits him, brings him into the kingdom, gives him all sorts of responsibility and leadership roles. Look what happens here. Whatever Saul sent David to do, David did it so successfully that Saul gave him a high rank in the army When David returned from battle, the people would come out from all the towns to meet Saul's army. And as they celebrated, they sang this song. Saul has slain his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. Not what Saul wanted to hear. Be like saying, you know, Saul is great, but David is awesome. And it kind of took Saul sideways a little bit. As at this, Saul was very angry. They're going to see five adjectives here that describe, describe a person has some dysfunction here. He was very angry. That's the first one. It galled him. From that time on, Saul kept a jealous eye. That's the second one on David. The next day, an evil, there's an evilness about Saul that came over him. And while David played his harp for Saul, Saul hurled a spear at David, but David dodged it. And finally, Saul was afraid. There's kind of a paranoia over David's Success. So Saul is king. He's in authority. But there's five signs of dysfunction. Did you catch them? Saul is angry a lot. He's jealous of other people's successes. He's got some evil intent in his life. He hurls stuff at people. And he's kind of a paranoid. He's afraid of other people's success. Do you know anybody like that? who's angry and jealous and hurls things like insults and accusations? And how does someone like that rise to become king or president or CEO? I'm telling you, gang, it happens today, which is why it's so important to figure out how to handle a person who acts dishonorably, and that's what we're going to find out today. Now, what happens next in this story is so typical. 
You know, Saul is jealous, he has evil intent. And when people like that feel threatened, they try to use deception and manipulation to control the person who they feel threatened by. And so Saul sends David into a battle where David is completely outnumbered to try to get David killed. And, and as an incentive, Saul promises to give David his oldest daughter, Merib, in marriage, thinking, of course, that David will never make it back alive. But David does make it back alive. He wins the battle. What does Saul do? He gives Merib to somebody else. He made a promise, he breaks the promise, he reverses it, and when it doesn't go his way, he uses this classic manipulative behavior to try to control and hurt the person he feels threatened by. In the meantime, Saul's other daughter, Michael, had fallen in love with David, so Saul sees another opportunity to damage David. Look what it says here in the text. So Saul told his men to give David this message. The king really likes you, David. No, he doesn't. All he wants for the price of his daughter, Michael, is 100 dead Philistines. But what Saul had in mind was that David would be killed in the fight. Again, Saul feels threatened by David, so he uses deception and manipulation to try to hurt David. But when David and his men go out to kill 100 Philistines, they kill 200. And David's fame just starts to rise higher and higher and so we find this in the next verse. So Saul urged his servants just to assassinate him. That's nice. You know, can't deceive him, can't trick him. Let's just kill him ourselves. Again, this can happen to us today. Maybe not to that degree, but you may have a boss who has it in for you, or a colleague or parent who simply out of jealousy or vengeance just wants to hurt you. They just want to harm you in some way. Now, what happens next is such a key part in this story. Remember, Jonathan is King Saul's son. And Jonathan and David are best friends. And so Jonathan sees what's going on, and he goes to his dad. He says, Dad, what are you doing? Why are you trying to hurt David, who simply is serving you? Why are you doing this? And I want all of you to see what Saul says to his son Jonathan, he says, it says, Saul, listen to Jonathan. And he took this oath. As surely as the Lord lives, David will not be killed. So it seems like Saul is softening just a little bit. Seems like Jonathan made some sense, got some sense into Saul. And so Saul makes this promise. But the question is, even though Saul has promised not to hurt David, should David trust him? Absolutely not. Because Saul has not proven to be trustworthy. And I bring this up because I see this all the time. Sometimes a person who's tried to hurt you will apologize. Oh, I'm so sorry for doing that. And they'll promise not to do it anymore. But I'm telling you, just because a person promises to be good doesn't mean they're gonna be good. Okay, when you're dealing with a person who has a pattern of anger and jealousy and evil intent, it takes more than an apology to begin trusting them. But sometimes it's hard to figure that out. Sometimes you want to trust what they say, and so that's what David does. He trusts what Paul says, Saul says. He continues to serve him, but then verse 9 is the deal breaker. But one day, as Saul was sitting at home, an evil spirit came over him again, 
as David played the harp for the king, Saul hurled his spear at David again, but David dodged it, leaving it stuck in the wall. And that night, David made his escape to Ramah. The problem with Saul is he has a hurling problem. He likes to hurl stuff. He hurls spears and insults and accusations. He promises not to do it anymore. I'm so sorry for doing that. But I'm telling you, when you're dealing with an angry, evil, unstable person, you need more than a promise. You need evidence that this person has actually changed. Saul needs a therapist, quite honestly. He needs Dr. Phil, Dr. Oz, Dr. Sue, somebody. Because until Saul gets help and deals with his dysfunctions, he's not going to change and he can't be trusted. So sometimes people will make a promise. I'm sorry that that won't happen again. But until they demonstrate real change, you need to be very, very careful. Finally, after dodging a spear for the third time, David realizes there's no hope for this relationship. And he leaves. And he runs off. He, he, he leaves. He's a little bit like a little toddler. True story, Frankie is his name. Frankie was two years old. And he was a handful at home. And one day his mother lost track of Frankie, but then she spotted him. He was standing on the top backside of their sofa, and all she could see were his little legs sticking out from underneath the drapes. Frankie was gazing outside the living room window, and as she snuck up behind him, all she could hear him saying over and over again, Frankie was saying, I got to get out of here. <laughs> He's two. Wait till he's 14. I mean, he's going to want to, but then he'll move back when he's 24. So it's, you know, it's just <laughs> hopeless. But this is where David is. He finally realizes, I got to get out of here. By the way, when do you know it's time to leave? You know, for David, it was after the third spear. He didn't leave after the first one. You know, he'll let that one go. He didn't leave after the second one. But by the third time, he knew. If your spouse comes home drunk a third time or a fourth time without any sign of change, it might be time to separate for a while. Not necessarily divorce, but there comes a time when somebody has to say, enough, I've had it. If your boyfriend lies to you three times, four times, it's time to leave. That person is not trustworthy for your sake and their sake. You need to leave. So verse 18, David comes to that point. So as David got away, he went to Ramah. He saw Samuel, his spiritual mentor, and he told Samuel everything. It just spilled out of him. Everything that Saul, his, this father figure in David's life, had done to him, that he betrayed him. And then Samuel took David with him to live in Naamoth for a while. This is, this is so important. You know, King Saul made David a general, became a father figure to David, but then Saul betrays him and he tries to eliminate him. And I bring this up because some of you have had that happen to you. Someone you trusted 
ended up betraying you, walked out on you, purposely tried to hurt you, and if that has happened to you, I want to say this with all the urgency and love that I have, you need to run and find your Samuel. You need to find a spiritual mentor or spiritual counselor who can help you through that time. There are times in every person's life, if you're a human being, there's, there's times in every person's life when you're going to need a spiritual counselor like Samuel who can love you through a hard, difficult time. I wrote a chapter in my first book called Everybody Needs a Fred. And Fred is a person who has intersected my life at such key moments when I needed a spiritual mentor and counselor. And I still do check up with Fred once in a while. So David went to Samuel. He told him all that Saul had done. And I think, honestly, this is one of the reasons why David became such a powerful leader because he knew he needed advice. And he was humble enough to go seek help. In fact, in his great new book called The Power of the Other, Henry Cloud, I, I hope all of you are reading Henry Cloud. This guy is an amazing, it just irritates me sometimes because he's so good. It's like, geez, come on. But Henry Cloud, in his, in his newest book, writes this. Ask anybody about how they overcame their biggest challenges. Ask anybody. And you'll find one thing in common. There was someone on the other end who was making that possible. And I want to ask a question. Who's on the other end for you? Who's on the other end in your life? Who's ahead of you spiritually? Who's wiser? Who's more experienced than you? Who's on the other end helping you get through the biggest challenges in life? Every, every person who excels in life has somebody else who's helping them get to where they need to be. So David runs to Samuel and Ramah, but then but then Saul finds out that David is in Ramah and he chases after him. For the next two years, David's just on the run trying to stay away from this maniac. And now we're going to start to see why David was one of the greatest men to ever live. You know, twice during these two years, David had an opportunity to kill Saul, get rid of him. You know, the first time we talked about a couple of weeks ago, David and his, had a few of his men, they were hiding in a cave and and King Saul actually came into that very cave where David and a few of his men were hiding to relieve himself. And David's men said, here's your chance. Just take your sword and thrust it through. And David refuses to lay a hand on Saul. Second time, David sneaks up on Saul's camp where Saul and 3,000 of his men were sleeping. It says this in the Bible. David and one of his men, Abashi, snuck into Saul's camp by night and there was Saul right there lying asleep inside the camp with his spear stuck in the ground by his head. Abashi said to David, let me pin him to the ground with one thrust of my spear. I'm not going to need to do it twice. In other words, it's going to go right through his chest. And again, David refuses to lay a hand on Saul. Instead, David steals Saul's spear. And he steals his water jug. And when they, when they were at a safe distance, he yells back to Saul's bodyguard who's sleeping next to Saul. Kind of Hebraic trash talk. 
from the, the, from the message translation of the Bible. David yells back, hey, Abner, how long are you going to sleep there, buddy? Why aren't you minding the story? Why weren't you standing guard over your master, the king? Bad form, man. Look what I have. I've got the king's spear and water jug that were right beside his head. Abner, you knucklehead. Look what I've got. Kind of thing. So two times, David has an opportunity to kill Saul. But he doesn't do it. And now here's the first reason why I think David became so great. The first reason is this. In spite of Saul's evil ways, David chose to see the good in Saul. Do you do that, by the way? Do you see the good in people? I'm not very good at that. I am much better at seeing the bad in people and describing in great detail how they infringed on my fishing spot <laughs> or cut me off in traffic or said nasty things about me online. David's men said, David, here's your chance. But David rebuked his men, and I want you to see the language that David uses about King Saul. He chooses to see the good in Saul. David says, God forbid that I should do such a thing to my master. It's unbelievable. Or lay a hand on the Lord's anointed. And then when David said these things to his men, and David gets away from Saul and at a safe distance, he yells back to Saul. This was during the cave experience. Saul, I could have killed you. But I will not lift my hand against, here it is again, my master, because you are the Lord's anointed. And then look at this. He says, see my father? He calls Saul his father. I cut off a piece of your robe, but I did not kill you. And Saul turns and he, he thinks he recognizes this voice. And so Saul says, is that your voice, David? My son. And Saul wept. It's craziness. I mean, Saul's chasing him, trying to kill David. David has an opportunity to kill Saul, and he doesn't do it, and he calls back, Saul, I could have I killed you. Is that you, my son? And he weeps. And I'm reading this text, and I'm asking myself, what's, what's going on here? And I think what, what's going on is actually pretty normal stuff. It's, it's pretty normal, hurtful, sinful, human, everyday stuff. I mean, just watch the news. You know, read about domestic violence. Over Memorial Day weekend, 69 people were shot in Chicago, just shot, like it's every day. And I'm learning this morning that last night, another terrible shooting in Orlando last night. I mean, it just like happens all the time. I mean, what's going on with our world? But it's not just that. It's the hurtful stuff that happens in your neighborhoods and mine. When dads are absent or abusive. When moms are self-indulgent. And when spouses, and I don't get this, when spouses are unfaithful, to each other. And the jealousy and rage that bubbles up 
in Saul. We have felt that. I have felt it. And the betrayal that David felt towards Saul is all too common. But did you notice in this story, in spite of all this anger and hatred, they still called each other father and son. Now, they weren't father and son, but at one time they had a father-son relationship that I think deep down they both still wanted. And I don't want to take a time out here. Gang, there, there is something about fathers and their kids that runs so deeply that even when a father has been absent or negligent, children long for a connection with their dad. Every son wants to have a connection with their dad. Every daughter wants to have a connection with their dad. And when that is missing, kids feel a profound loss even into their 20s, 30s, and 40s. And so dad's here today. I want to ask you something. If you're a dad who has checked out, if you've been absent or hurtful, and there's currently no relationship with your kids, what are you going to do about that? That's on you, dads. Maybe your kids are misbehaving. I get that, but it's on you. It is never too late to say, I am so sorry for my part in this. Will you forgive me? It is never too late, dads, to try to begin a new relationship with your kids. But for David, he knew he'd never have a relationship with Saul. And, and some of you won't have a relationship with your father because of what's happened. But David still honored Saul, and you can too. You can honor your dad or your mom. As bad as Saul was, David thought, you know what? He's still a warrior. He's still king. He's still a great leader. And David respected Saul for at least those things. In fact, later on, when Saul and Jonathan were killed in battle, David wrote this incredible statement. How the mighty have fallen. In life they were loved and gracious, swifter than eagles, stronger than lions. O daughters of Israel, weep for Saul. How the mighty have fallen. So in other words, as bad as Saul was, David focused on the good in Saul. And as flawed as some of your parents are, if you're a kid here today, is there anything you can be grateful for? Anything you can still honor them for? You don't have to have a relationship with them if it's been that bad, but you can still be respectful. You can still be civil and kind for the things that they did do well. Was there anything they did do well? It takes a lot of strength to do that. But I do believe the reason why God prospered David and blessed his life and made him king is because David chose to see the good in this man. I want to be able to do that more. I want to be a person who sees the good in people, even if it's really hard to see sometimes. Second reason, real quick, because I touched on this last week, the second reason I believe David became great is David just simply trusted that God would deal with Saul. God would deal with Saul. He, he chose to see the good in Saul, and he decided, he chose that God will deal with him. Now, right after the cave incident, David yells back to Saul. He says, look, I will not lift up my hand against the Lord's anointed. Look at this. The Lord will judge between us. The Lord will do this. The Lord will avenge the wrongs you have done to me, Saul, but my hand 
I will not lift my hand against you. Gang, David believed that as long as he behaved honorably, God would take care of his enemies. Do you believe that? I hope you get this. David believed as long as he, as long as he behaved honorably, that God would deal with his enemies. If you have an enemy who's treating you badly or is lying about you or has it in for you, I'm telling you, your number one goal should be to behave honorably as far as you can do it. And then trust that God, he's big enough. He sees it. God will deal with your enemy. Doesn't mean you don't confront that person. Doesn't mean you don't hold them accountable or even fire them if they're an employee. But David believed if he behaved honorably, God would take care of his enemies. And I believe God will take care of our enemies. I really do. David saw the good in people and he trusted God would take care of the rest. I think those are the reasons David became great. Every year when we come out of the Boundary Waters on this trip we just took, we are so completely exhausted and hungry for real food. So we always stop at the Dairy Queen in Ely. And it's the only time I eat at the Dairy Queen all year. But I am telling you, the first bite, the first bite into that char-broiled double bacon cheeseburger is unbelievable. And I'm a ketchup and mustard guy, so it just, it squirts down my face all over my, I have to have like 13 napkins just to clean myself up. But it is one of God's greatest blessings on the planet. That first bite is unbelievable. So two weeks ago, six of us were sitting at the Dairy Queen in Ely. We were all rough looking. We just spent four days in the woods. We were waiting for our food when the manager walked right up to me stood right next to me, and he said, you look really familiar. I said, oh. He said, do I know you? I said, I don't think so. <laughs> he said, man, you look familiar. He said, are you, are you by any chance a minister? And I'm like, I'm in no man's land, up here in, D you know, Ely, Dairy Queen. I said, yeah. I'm a minister. He said, I knew it. He said, my friend in Ely watches you online, and when you mentioned my Dairy Queen two years ago, he sent me your message, and I watched the whole thing, and I loved it. <laughs> then he said this, you have no idea what that's done for my business. <laughs> He said, I can't thank you enough. <laughs> My friend Scott was sitting there next to me, and he has no shame. Scott has no shame. He said, what's all that free advertising worth to you anyway? <laughs> Is it worth six free Buster Bars? The guy said, absolutely. <laughs> so we all got free Buster Bars. And my point is this. That's what happens when somebody tries to take your fishing spot. But instead of swamping their canoe, you try to see the good in them. And God rewards you with six buster bars. And next year, if this guy sees us, we're after some, uh, what are they called? Uh, those thick deals. Blizzards. Yeah, we're going to up it a little bit. Blizzards. 
hey, I know life can be really hard, and it is. And some of you, by no fault of your own, have been treated so badly by somebody. And every instinct is to want to strike back and destroy that person. And gang, I get it. I do. I'm the same way. But I don't want to spend my whole life mad. Some people spend their whole life just mad and holding the revenge card, determined to get back. I want to be better than that. I want to be able to focus on the good in people and just trust that God is big enough and just enough and good enough to deal with any person who's wronged me. And I believe he will. My job is to behave honorably before God and trust that God will do the rest. I believe it's what great kings and great people are made of. Hey, this is going to be a fantastic summer um, in church. Don't miss church this summer. I'm going to be here every weekend. And we got a couple of series coming up. Uh, the first series that's coming next week is That's What I Want. We thought about what, what is it that people really want. That's what I want. We're going to talk about that. Then the series after that, 2 uh, Corinthians, is called uh, Shatterproof. It's going to be fantastic this summer. Don't miss any weekend. I'm going to take a little time, though, myself. I'm going to be diving into a third book, and this is always scary for me, so please pray for me, but I'm going to be writing about the old and new life because the Bible says the old life is gone when you become a Christian and the new life has come. But when I look at my life, the old life is still there. You know, I still sin. I'm still afraid a lot. And so what is this? If the old life is gone, what is it, and what does it look like to live in the new life? So... That's what I'm going to be trying to write about, and may God bless that, I hope. But here's the, here's the last thing I want to say to you. This fall, we've already planned it, is going to be a killer in a good way. It's going to be a great, great fall. So I just want to challenge the entire church. Start thinking and praying for people right now. I, I, I kind of put a slogan to it. I'm not a slogan guy, but why not start praying for five people that God would allow you to meet intersect, and invite them to church this coming fall. Pray for those people. Start looking for those opportunities to build relationships. And I'm, I'm calling it myself five for fall. Five for fall. Might be a family of five. Might be five different people that you, that you come across. Wouldn't it be amazing if we all began praying and looking for people in our life that, that need Christ? It's going to be a fantastic fall. And uh, so let's Pray, pray along those lines and all campuses. Let's stand for closing prayer and be on our way. Let's pray together. Father, thanks so much for your word. I thank you for the story of David that isn't perfect. I mean, David had a real train wreck. A few chapters later, just about wrecked him. And so, God, when we read the Bible, we don't read about perfect people. We read about people who struggle just like us. But, Father, thank you for forgiveness and thank you for grace.
We've all had people that hurt us. Lord, would you give us the courage and wisdom somehow to see the good even in the person who hurt us and then trust that you will set it straight. God, some of us standing here have been the person doing the hurting. I pray that you'll forgive us for that. We've all said things and done things that have hurt people and hurt you. And so none of us are clean, which is why, once again, Lord, we're thankful so much for your forgiveness and your mercy and grace that I need every single day. And I think all of us do. We love you, came to worship you today. Thank you for meeting us, Lord Jesus. We love you so much. We pray in your name. Amen. Have a great day, everybody.